0: So, one Sunday, a seven-year-old girl won $2 in Sunday school class for her memory work. And after the morning service, the pastor's wife came and congratulated her on it. And when the little girl beamed and said, And I put all of it in the morning offering. Well, my, that's wonderful, said the pastor's wife. I'm sure God will be very pleased with that. Yes, the little girl responded. And maybe now he'll let me do the things I want to do. Money, money. We certainly have some interesting and confusing notions about God and money. I mean, maybe we haven't said out loud what that little girl said, but if we were honest this morning, we'd be tempted at times to think that our offerings of money or good works and acts of service for God have some kind of, you know, transactional part to them. God, I give to you and you give to me. The more I give to you, God, the more you give to me. If I just pray the right way, or if I live the right way, then God will bless me. See, prosperity gospel, the the false and very harmful theology that teaches God rewards faith, especially hefty tithing with financial blessings, has grown significantly in recent years here in the United States and in countries around the world. To many... It makes sense because so much of our world operates around the bottom line, the cost and the profits. But as author Richard Foster once wrote, for the Christian, the bottom line can never be the bottom line. An unhealthy relationship with money is a tale as old as time. And our text this morning is from 1st. Timothy in the New Testament and it is one of the pastoral care letters and those were letters written to address issues that shepherds were dealing with in their flock among the regular folk in the church and guiding them on how to help them with those issues you see the early church was concerned with the poor we we say that and cover that a lot but they were also very concerned about the rich The early church was attracting people from all social and economic classes who were drawn to the beautiful good news, the gospel news of Jesus, and a desire to be set free from the entrapments of the world. And while the struggles might have varied between classes, it was clear then, as it is to us today, that the presence of money, as well as the absence of money, can bring hardship and misery. Now, some of you may think, Mel, wait, so these words, they're directed towards the rich? Well, then I can just check out of this one, right? My friend, on the contrary, I promise that to someone, you are rich. Maybe not someone that you know or even someone nearby, but I promise you in our big, beautiful, diverse world, there are many someones, countless someones, who would look at your life your possessions, your freedoms, your provisions, and say, my friend, you are rich. So this message is for all of us. Let's read together from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The Bible is not anti-money or wealth, it's anti-love of money. Its concern is confidence in money instead of confidence in God. Its worry is concern is hope in wealth rather than hope in Christ. In the New Testament, there is no ban on private property or making money or even enjoying the good things in life. The command to the rich, however, is that they do not put their hope in wealth. That a selfish accumulation of wealth and an unhealthy obsession with material things can lead us away from God. And what promises security actually leads to perpetual insecurity. And while these instructions were given very specifically for how to guide the rich to form themselves into the likeness of Christ, to live a life that is really life They apply well to anything that we are tempted to place our confidence in or our hope in other than God. Anything. Now, how do you know where your confidence is? I mean, how do we know where we're placing our hope? One way might be to think about our reaction to events around us in recent days and months. What feels most threatened to you? What do you fear losing the most? What are you grabbing desperately to hold on to? Is it wealth or financial security? Is it power, perceived power, or party politics? Is it your personal health or the health of others? Is it family or a relationship? Is it a position or a title or a job? Is it just control? You want to be able to control something in a time that feels like it's uncontrollable? If we sat with those questions for a few moments and invited God to reveal what our confidence is in, what our hope is in, God and God's tender mercy might help us see that it is something other than God. For when we set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches or health or power or others or control or any uncertain thing, we live on a really shaky foundation. And every time the wind blows or a storm picks up, we feel very insecure and threatened and fragile. God has a better way of living for us. A life that is truly life. And the promise of God's word in our text today is that those who put their hope in God find a firm foundation and take hold of that life that is truly life. Put your hope in God and you will find a firm foundation. Put your hope in God and you won't be tossed about by every storm. Put your hope in God and you will take hold of life that is truly life. Now, these two verses in 1 Timothy 6 are packed with some really great advice on how we can take hold of that life that is truly life, the life that God dreams for you and for me. The first lesson is to be humble. Verse 17 says, As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty. The Apostle Paul tells the rich people not to feel like they're superior to other people, just because they have money. They should not exhibit pride and arrogance because they were blessed with wealth. The caution was that it was very easy for those with wealth to slowly find that their confidence moves from who they are in Christ to what they have in the bank. To move from a posture of gratitude for what God has done and is doing to a a gratitude for what you've done and what you've achieved. From humble to haughty. Of course, we all know rich people who are not arrogant with their wealth. In fact, how how many times have you heard this uh, saying that someone has said, that person is worth a ton of money, but you'd never know it. Why do we say that? Because generally, we feel that we're impressed that this person who has a lot of money seems to act like a normal person. They don't carry it on their sleeve like others. They don't seem to wear it. There's just something about them that's different from other rich people. I think the best word might be humble or modest. You see, wealth can make you arrogant. It can make you think that you're better than others. It can really go to your head. It doesn't have to, but it can. And so Paul cautions Timothy to say, make sure when you instruct the rich people in the faith to not be haughty, to not be full of themselves. If they really want to take hold of life, that is really life. Paul also tells us that it's so important to trust God and not stuff. When you start to have more money, you get that raise, you get the promotion, something starts to happen to your hope, often without you even knowing it. As your lifestyle increases, your hope slowly begins to migrate from God to possessions and the things that we have. And Paul says, He says, warn those rich people that not to let their hope migrate from God to wealth or possessions. Don't be confused and place your security in the things of earth. Now the Proverbs in the Bible is full of lots of great wisdom and in chapter 18, verse 11, it wisely says this, the rich think their wealth protects them. They imagine themselves safe behind it. It's really tempting to put our trust in the things of earth and to imagine that we are safe behind them. If we just have more, then we'll have enough. Yet we never feel like we have enough, so then we always need more, and it's this vicious cycle. And that's why so many Americans are burdened with an enormous amount of debt. In fact, according to some financial experts, about 80% of Americans have some form of consumer debt, and the average American has $38,000 in debt, excluding mortgage debt. Owing money just seems to be a way of life for Americans. And it it really isn't the possessions that we're after. It's what possessing it means to us. It is because our trust is so often in stuff, and it creates this false sense of security and safety. Like the proverb said, we think stuff will protect us, and we imagine ourselves safe behind it. Imagine, we dream it up because it isn't really true. We make ourselves convinced that we are safe and secure there. Yet, we've actually surrounded ourselves with the very thing that will destroy us and make us miserable. Paul cautions in verse 17 not to be haughty and to not set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God says you can trust me, not stuff. God will provide everything that we truly need. And Paul also challenges us to live generously, to not be haughty, to trust God in that stuff, and to live generously. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Keith Taylor. Keith has benefited from the generosity of other people in different times and different ways in his life. For example, while Keith was attending graduate school in Tennessee, his car broke down, and the subsequent repair bill cost him to be short on his rent for a month. But fortunately for Keith, his boss at his part-time job paid the rent bill in full. A gift, not a loan. One evening in 2002, Keith was reflecting on the kindness of his boss, And on the other acts of generosity that had really impacted his life and contributed to his happiness and stability. And so, like many American Christians, Keith decided that one day he would dedicate his life to helping others. He said, when I'm really rich, I'm going to start an organization to help the working poor. But then Keith was seized by a remarkable thought. It occurred to me, he said, all of a sudden, that no one who has ever helped me was wealthy. They'd just been nice. They'd just had compassion. So Keith decided he would try to help one person each month get through some kind of financial crisis. And so he set aside $350 to get started. He also set up a very basic website that invited requests for assistance. But when that site was featured on a really popular blog, Keith's plan went out the window. He received over 1,000 emails that next day. Most were from people who needed assistance, but a surprising amount were from people who wanted to help too. Now, a short time later, Keith incorporated a nonprofit organization called Modest Needs. The organization's first official grant saved a woman's life. She received money for a mammogram that discovered a tumor. And Modest Needs has been gaining steam ever since, giving millions in grants to thousands of individuals and families to get them on their feet. And one of the more exciting things about modest needs is this, that almost 70% of individuals who received money from grants end up donating money back to the organization sometime later. So in other words, kindness produces more kindness, and generosity produces more generosity, which sounds like a really great way to love your neighbor. Paul's words of wisdom to the rich in verses 18 and 19 is this when you live generously, you'll become rich in the things that really matter, and you'll gain life that is truly life. Paul's words of wisdom to the rich in verses 18 and 19 is this. Generosity is the way to break the hold money has on our lives. And in the upside-down world of the gospel, we measure wealth not in how much we have, but in what we give away. You want to be rich? Be rich in works of love. You want to be wealthy? Be wealthy in caring for your neighbor in need. You want to be secure? Put your trust in God and not the stuff of earth. God's command for us to live faithfully and sacrificially is an invitation to be set free from the love of money and set free from dependence on anything or anyone other than God. The joy of being humble, the joy of trusting God, the joy of living generously is the invitation to live as people absolutely and completely dependent on God. And while that goes against everything in our nature, it actually is the path toward life, life that is really life. Late 19th century English pastor William Webb Peplow wrote this. Don't try to hold God's hand. Let Him hold yours. Let Him do the holding and you do the trusting. You see, when our hands are full of ourselves and too full of our stuff, there's no more room in our hands for God to hold. The joy of receiving God's blessing is that it teaches us to lay down the cheap imitations of things and to let God do the holding and us do the trusting. Be humble. Trust God. Live generously. And be set free to live a life that is really and truly life. Let's pray together. God, we are overwhelmed with your love for us. And sometimes we read these commands, these hard things that we're asked to do as followers of Christ, and we forget, God, that it comes from a place of love, a place of tenderness and mercy. That when you ask us to do something, you know it is because it will be the best thing for us, and it will set us free from the things that keep us from living the life that you want us to live. And so, God, we help. We ask that you help us to increase our trust in you. That we would just focus on trusting you and allow you to hold us and to take care of us and to be people that are dependent on you. God, each time we go to give, uh, whether to the church or to give in acts or money to things and causes we believe in that help our neighbor, God, each time we do that, may we pause to give gratitude for you and that this act, God, is setting us free from being dependent on the stuff of this world and an expression of trust and faith in you alone. God, we're so grateful for your provisions in our life, for the teaching of Scripture, God, that reminds us of these very important lessons and just the powerful truth today that out of your love for us, you've called us to live a life that truly is life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.